Welcome to Interrevolutionary Radio with your host, Helen Helix, and today's co-host, James Maynard. Today's topic, people and the economy, turning the relationship upside down, a startling conversation with Beth Green. Last month, Beth Green started a powerful conversation about work, housework, money, and fun. She discussed production, reproduction, and regeneration in a way that blew our paradigm. Paid and unpaid work are one. Consumption and production are one. And we've been thinking of economics in an upside-down way, one that keeps us all less powerful and less happy. On May the 6th, Beth led an event called No More Divide and Conquer, where she discussed the fundamental social division that runs through most human societies, why it exists, and how it has hurt us all. In addition, she'll be talking about the purpose of a new economy and where we can go from here. Beth will be sharing all that with us on today's show and helping point the way to an approach to the economy that makes sense, is revolutionary, supports our happiness, and blows up the destructive divisiveness of our current social and economic system. So stay tuned to this enlightening discussion. Who knew economics could be such fun? Helen? Wow. (laughs) You know, I am such a dunce about all these things. And every time I hear it described, I feel even more like a dunce. But you know what? I'm glad that I'm a dunce because then the listeners won't think that I am some kind of highfalutin intellect and they will relate more. That's what I'm hoping that, you know, if are I... Are you suggesting that your <laughs> listeners are all dunces? No, but that's, that's a good... I just can't imagine that they all know everything you know. And, you know, that's why we have you on repeatedly because you know so many things we don't know. So I'm the bridge between between you and the rest of us. And I'm, I'm hoping that, that those like me who don't understand will also be illuminated and inspired by what you have to say today. Oh, but I want to... I wanna st- yeah, and we welcome you so much. I want to start okay. out with a couple of news items. Um, one was sent in by Lizzie, and it's... Uh, an optimistic statement that's that is in clean technica and the title is germany breaks a solar record gets 85 percent of electricity from renewables not cool oh my gosh i just thought that was so amazing they said it was due to breezy and warm weather you know that <laughs> that expanded the solar and wind capacity you know on a particular given weekend but but i just wanted to quickly just say I'm so excited about that and gosh I hope that we all get there sometime soon (laughs) the other article was sent in by uh, Irene and it's about the movie Tomorrow which is a documentary done by Melanie Laurent and Cyril Dion um, who are French documentarians, and it's an optimistic guide. It says, Melanie Laurent and Cyril Dion's engaging César-winning eco-social econo-doc is an an optimistic guide for avoiding the end of humanity. And I just thought that it was a wonderful segue into what you're going to be talking about today. And it touches on five different components which I do believe connect to the inner revolution in that you know they're talking about oneness accountability and mutual support all through this film and you know they start out talking about agriculture and energy which you know we've heard over and over and over but then they move into economy democracy um, and 
one more area that I can't remember right now. Um, education. Education. <laughs> and they said that they there no cow is too sacred to be dispelled. Uh, for instance, the greater productivity of industrial agriculture is exposed as a lie. And that no problem is too big. And this sounds so Beth Greenian. <laughs> wow. You know, no problem is too big and no cow is too sacred. You know, those should be <laughs> tattooed on your inner uh, arm. Uh, but anyway, it's, a, it's an upbeat documentary and it really talks about the, the, the hope is the devolution of wealth and power from national governments to smaller communities and municipalities and from multinational corporations, banks and industries to local enterprises and that it talks about a general can-do attitude. But I, again, I thought that this is so connected to what you've been talking about, you know, the devolution of power and wealth from national governments and, and corporations to the masses. And there's just been so much talk about that and it's so exciting and I just wanted to give a plug for that documentary uh, as it carries the energy of the inner revolution. And Love now, it. Me too. And now I would like to welcome Beth Green, our favorite guest, who is so, so generous <laughs> to come on every single month and, you know, help, help us understand things that we don't understand. And we also are going to ask for callers today, which we haven't been doing generally lately, and people are kind of out of the habit, but I do hope some callers will call in. And James, would you like to give us the phone number? Yes, I'd be very pleased to. If you have a question or a comment, please call us at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Thank you, James. Welcome. I would like to start out talking about how wonderful the event was on May 6th, which was No More Divide and Conquer, Let's Tell the Real Story. And it was a combination of discussions um, from Beth and answering questions from the audience about the origin of all separation being, you know, of all the, the human separation being between the male and the female. And I thought that was such a fascinating uh, philosophical perspective that we don't often think about. You know, we talk about national separation and religious and caste separation and, you know, money separation and all of that. But we we don't talk about how this really essential separation between men and women underlies so much of of the other separations that we experience. And then the other part of it was how the economic realities of life underlie so many of the problematic issues in our world. And I'd like to start out with asking you, Beth, what is the relationship between that rift between male and female and all the other divisions we experience? Well, thank you, Helen, and I, I want to thank you so much for having me on. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, anybody who thinks I'm making sense is a genius, as far as I'm concerned. Yay! So Yay. You the only person not. on earth that thinks I'm a genius. I do. I do. And I think anybody who's a listener to this show is a genius because all these so-called geniuses are doing nothing but mucking up the earth. <laughs> you know, with their super sophisticated intellectual rationalization for self-destructing. Amen. <laughs> so. 
<laughs> you, know, you know, I think that the person who comes in and tells the simple truth, it's like the little child who said the emperor has no clothes was the smartest person in the whole brigade, right? And yet, uh, you know, people would have said, oh, this is just a simple child. But the simple child says what everybody knows but won't not only won't say, but won't even let themselves be conscious of. And so what I would say that I'm doing is more bringing to awareness what we already see and know, but don't let ourselves know because it's not in the popular culture to know that. And it could threaten something. something so you are within forever us. young. I am. Oh, isn't that the truth? Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I am, and I'm very childish also. And at this at this point, I'm going into my second childhood. If I, I'm not already ensconced in that position, so I would love to, you know, just talk about the this initial division. And I want to start out by saying that you could say that this is a truth. You could say it's a speculation. You could say it's a hypothesis, depending on how much you agree with what I'm going to say. Right. But, <laughs> but I what think we, it's the truth. That's what I say. I think uh, it's the truth. I like that. You see another star in your genius column. <laughs> uh, anybody who agrees with me. So, But what, uh, what I was thinking, I was trying to think about the whole no divide and conquer. And also, we had a great conversation a couple of weeks ago on this very program uh, talking about work, fun, and housework and what the relationship is and how upside down our thinking is that we think, and money, thank you, that we think that work and housework are actually separate. And um, so, you know, I was talking about the fact that everything in society economically is about the reproduction of the species, which is the essence of housework, right? Uh, regeneration of ourselves and reproduction of uh, the next generation. And that every species is involved in that. And that uh, we have somehow divided that in our minds, another huge division, right? That work and housework are different. Right. Now... Why would that be? Of course, obviously, we know that one gets paid and the other one doesn't. And, of course, there is a reason that I was in the Wages for Housework campaign in the 1970s because I could see that. And I was I did not come up with this idea, but I, when I heard it, I said, oh, my God, that's so obvious, isn't it? That the fact that women worked at home for free was really the source of our powerlessness. And yep. um, so something needed to be done, and whether it was wages for housework, but I mean, for me, I think the real thing is to reorganize our thinking about what we're doing with the economy altogether. But this division between uh, work and housework is very convenient because it means that the work of women, and it's not just women. Um, but lots of people on this planet is that work is invisible because when it's not paid, it's not visible. And at that time, we had done these studies uh, to show that if you had to pay somebody to do everything that a typical housewife did, I'm just a housewife, right? uh, it would cost at that time, oh, I don't know, $117,000 or something like that so if you had to pay for it. Right, this is 1970s money, you know, that would be a million dollars today. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, when you think about it, that's really interesting, and all of that work is invisible, but it's not only invisible when it terms, uh, in terms of the businesses that hire whoever is also 
working outside the home and of course more and more women have two jobs and more and more men have two jobs too because men are more and more engaged in housework and child rearing so we have these jobs which actually reproduce society which actually is the underlying function of the economy and reproduces the economy because without workers you know if the worker isn't fed he or she is not going to do very well not for long you know after a while day or two you know they're going to drop dead at their desk so (laughs) so you know from the business's perspective all they have to do is pay you for the time you're there but nobody is actually considering the cost of what it takes to reproduce yourself and that's kind of like your own thing you're on your own just like oh well who needs maternity care right because health insurance or health insurance because i mean who needs that what's really important is you know when you're sitting at your desk filling out paperwork for some you know tedious nonsense that probably isn't going to make any difference anyway um well sometimes it does and a lot of times it doesn't that's work see but raising children getting yourself, you know, ironing your clothes if you do, washing them, which we do have to do, you know, cooking, having a home, emotionally reproducing, getting love, spirituality, whatever it is, music, all of those things are just like, you know, extraneous, you know, just like that's, oh, well, you know, who cares about that stuff? So anyway, obviously, everything that we do is really a part of our own regeneration, or it should be, but unfortunately, a lot of what we do doesn't regenerate it, uh, us. It just numbs us so that we go back to work the next day. Uh, you know, I remember working in factories and stuff like that, where even if we got off at the the you know the midnight shift, we were twelve thirty, we got off work, and we all went to the bar. You know, well, of course, I mean that's what you did in Cleveland, Ohio. <laughs> When you'd finished work, uh, you went to a bar and you degenerated instead of regenerated. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's like, oh, how can I numb myself enough so that I don't realize just how miserable I am so that I will go to work tomorrow? Oh, my God, you know, or let's entertain the masses into not thinking about how rotten their lives really are and then uh, will they'll be so distracted that nobody will rebel so uh it's, it's so pretty f- true i isn't mean it? i love what you said that instead of regenerating we degenerate i mean and so often that is the case you know whether we're talking about consumerism pornography you know yeah. eating the wrong foods you know addiction to technology social TV. media tv yeah. all Drugs. of that i mean it's Drugs, it's its unbelievable how it's the antithesis of what we ought to be doing to regenerate and reproduce ourselves. And we have been taught that this is the way to relax. Yes. Get away from it all. And then you, if you're lucky, you have a two-week vacation. And, right. uh, you, know, you know, we look at the rest of the world like, what is the wrong with these people that they get a month off or six weeks? You know, they actually take off from work. I mean, they don't have their priorities straight at all. <laughs> And how are they going to afford their McMansions and their SUVs? (laughs) Exactly. So, you know, it's all kind of ridiculous and pathetic and upside down. And, you know, we have forgotten that the foundation of all civilization is that we have to reproduce, that every insect has to reproduce, every tree, every flowery plant, every microbe has to reproduce, and, you know, either having little microbes, you know, children microbes, or have to reproduce themselves. They're eating, 
aren't they? They're eating us up alive. So, (laughs) (laughs) speak for yourself. So, anyway, uh, so if reproduction and regeneration are the essence of any society, whether it's animal, vegetable, mineral, whatever, and it's also human, but we're so, you know, we're so sophisticated that we think that the purpose of life is to become a size two and, uh, you know, get the dress or the bigger car or whatever, and that, and that we will kill ourselves to do that rather than getting those things in order to reproduce ourselves. That is what is so darn upside down. Now, how does this link to the fundamental division between men and women? Well, if you notice that what is considered what is considered work and what has been considered like sort of extra, you know, like health care, sort of an extra thing that we have to do to keep the the uh, plebes from rebelling in the streets. Um, in fact, I'm going to share something with you, which you may know already. Uh, when Karl Marx was sitting in the library, you know, thinking about all of this stuff, you know, he was he was commenting on the fact that the the English worker was decreasing in stature with the because of the industrial re- revolution that the working class was getting sicker and sicker and um, if i remember correctly and i do have that second childhood brain that comes <laughs> along with age that um, you know that people that the public health started because workers were too sick you know they were getting infections and spreading it to the wealthy or they <laughs> They couldn't reproduce themselves. I mean, something had to be done in those tenements, right, to have some kind of public health so that somebody could work in the sweatshops to produce the clothing that the rest of us were wearing. So it's so stupid the way we think of things. It's unreal. And uh, the divisions that we have in our head, well, this is a social service, and this is an economic thing, and this is production, and this is consumption, and this is all division, division, division. So we start out, if we notice that so much of what we have considered um, secondary in importance is getting a, a well-cooked meal, having you know a comfortable home, Feel that I mean, not that we personally do not value those things, but societally we don't value those things. It's, you know, when you go into the corporations, it's profit that counts. And so all of these are housework type things. So where does this all begin? When you think about it, I, I think about it, I blink my eyes and I think about the cave days and I think about the, the men going out there and hunting ugh. And the women are at home having babies, and um, and I'm sure that the men took advantage of this. I, I cannot believe, knowing human nature, that the men came home and said, I am going to share equally with my wife, who is producing babies. I, I'm sure that's not true, and one of the reasons I'm sure that's not true is that it's very difficult to find a society anywhere in the world where men and women are treated equally. You know, you can go into what we call primitive societies or what we call highly evolved civilization, and you see so much oppression of women in so many societies across time in so many circumstances. So it seems like the initial difference was between the male and the female. That was our first division. And um, women were the machines that produced the babies, and the men were the machines that went out there and you know, did the hunting, and uh, I would bet you dollars to donuts. Does anybody want to disagree with this speculation? No. That the 
that the men, uh, you know, were more physically powerful and they, they tried to dominate because power, the division of power exists, has existed, it seems, forever. I mean, you know, you go back, look at the pharaohs, look at the Greeks, look at the, look at the societies we do know something about. And when you see divisions between slaves and masters, uh, you know, societies where you had owners and serfs and you had peasants, you have workers, it's always divisions, divisions, divisions. They're all based on power. And I believe that because women were carrying the children, were getting pregnant, that we were the, quote, weaker sex. Remember that expression? The weaker sex. In fact, Men were justifying that women didn't have the vote a hundred years ago because we were mentally unwell and couldn't think logically when we were having our periods. So, um, (laughs) you know, and of course we see this array of rational men who are running the world, right? And we say they must all be on the rag. That's all I can say. (laughs) So, (laughs) So anyway, back to the cave. Uh, and But what also occurred to me uh, when I was thinking about this is now, again, this is speculation, but probably, probably true, is that men had vagina envy or womb envy. What I mean by that is, you know, here is women who are the, it is, it, the, the role of women in reproduction is so much more obvious to the naked mind than the role of men. If you don't know anything about science, you look at women popping out babies, getting pregnant, and you think, wow, wow. I mean, it wasn't this even, (laughs) this is a sacred moment of women popping out babies without any help from men. It's called the Immaculate Conception. It's this Jesus Christ story. See, women don't even need men. As long as they have God, they can have babies. So, um, right, right. Right? Don't you think that's a reflection of something in our collective psyche? So I'm betting 100% to one that uh, men were looking at women and uh, thinking, what's wrong with me? You know, why can't I do this? And of course, on the other hand, it was a great detriment to women because they were either dragging around a baby on their back in their womb or something else. And women had a lot of babies. Part of the reasons women had a lot of babies is because babies died and it was kind of a biological requirement uh, that women have a lot of babies. I mean, we've seen this in a lot of societies that are industrializing, that women are still on the old routine of having endless babies because of how many of them die young. Uh, My own grandmother, who was born in Poland in the 1880s, um, she was one of 13 children and the only one who survived childhood. So, you know, what are the odds, right? So women had to have a lot of babies. And secondly, we didn't have birth control. And, I, you know, I, I bet we didn't really know what we were doing, what was producing all these babies. So women were encumbered. I don't know that women were so much weaker. Uh, they, certain, women certainly have stamina. But women were encumbered by uh, carrying children, being pregnant, and so on. And it was much easier for men to take advantage of women's weakness in that respect and that physical weakness in addition to that uh, if women and we see this as society develops you know if women are dependent on men to bring home something whether it's game or something or they're going into the mines uh, and they're bringing home money 
then the men have uh, the um, the currency of value in the society, which is the money. And if women are at home, and you can see this in in many societies even now, where women are you know have plots of land and are growing food, but they don't get cash for it. They, and how do you turn that? that that uh, production into cash that will allow you to function in a more powerful way in a monetized economy. So you see that having children and not having access to those things that uh, empowered people on a financial economic plane has always been to women's detriment. And that is, I am certain, the first division we ever had way before between black and white between owner and, you know, peon, um, between Muslim and Jew. Of course, we did have Neanderthals and versus and Homo, Homo sapiens. Exactly. Homo sapiens, right. I, I was just going to say that. It wasn't that concurrent. Well, I guess not. I mean, I guess the, the male and female came before we ever encountered the other exactly. evolutionary always, groups. Exactly, because that's the, that is what you see in every society. Is right. this distinction between male and female. And I think, and I suspect, knowing the green-eyed monster, which we call jealousy and envy, I think that men uh, were jealous or they thought women had magical powers. And, I mean, don't you think that there is an astounding history of trying to undermine women's power? I mean, astounding, whether that power is seen as spiritual power, uh, the power of the witches as the healers of the planet that was destroyed by the burning of the witches and the coming to the fore of the male doctors. Um, and, um, you know, the pushing of women out of religion and out of high positions in religion. Remember when we interviewed, um, what was her name, that wonderful Sister Simone, and uh, we talked, oh, and... Um, the woman who did the uh, the film Radical Grace, and and there was a woman there who was demonstrating. She went to uh, to Italy, and she was showing all these chapels that shown signs that women had more power in the beginning of, uh, you know, Catholicism that they ended up having later. Right. That women have been systematically disempowered by religion. Uh, so our spiritual power, um, we have been. Uh, treated like somehow, you know, we're morons and, uh, you know, that I'm only a housewife. I heard that when I was growing up all the time. Well, what does your father do was always the first question. Well, my father works in a bakery, right? And what did your mother do? Well, she's she's just a housewife. And, of course, how many of us really can't even afford to be full-time housewives but continue having to be responsible for the housework anyway this, of course, is changing. Thank you, God. Thank you, the women's movement. And thank you, Sunrise of Consciousness, among men as well. But there, there was a time when it was just expected that if you were a woman, you were automatically going to take over the job in the kitchen, you know, raising the children, in addition to working outside the home. Oh, and that's not, that's not a, a, been a long time ago either. Oh, no. I mean, oh, no. just a few years ago, that that was still completely prevalent. That you know, the woman had to, and and still, it's everywhere. Yeah. I mean, there are people breaking out of it, but I would say yeah. that in the majority of homes, the woman still does way more of the housework and the childcare than the men, regardless of what she does for a living. 
Exactly. Well, that's because see, we, we were born with milk in our boobs. Right. And, that's uh, it. you know, and with a, a, a potholder in our hands. I mean, every woman was born with that. I, I remember growing up and being totally not uh, drawn to uh, having children. It wasn't my thing, and it was probably a good thing since I could never physically have any. But that wasn't what my priority was. I wanted to overthrow the, the system at a very early age. And um, so I didn't know how, what I was going to do about that other role, but I was just considered unnatural. I mean, it is totally unnatural. And isn't that one of the terrible things about lesbians in the old society, right? It's like, oh, my God, they're not at men's beck and call. They're not willing to submit to male authority. And they, they're not devoted to having babies, although not many lesbians today are able to do that. And I would just like to add one more point before I give you a chance to say anything, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is that... Um, you know, so many, you've had people on your show, you know, talking about breaking this binary sense of gender that of you are either a male or a female. Uh, and that is really changing in our younger generation as more and more people are recognizing that it's not that simple, that it's a continuum, that some people are bisexual, uh, that some people are, tr- are uh, transgender. There are so many varieties, in fact, uh, of you know of gender identification, but see in a stratified society where the men are men and the women are women, uh, we can't allow for that. And that genitals define your sexuality, you know, is another one of those binary thoughts. You know, it's like one one small part of your body defines who you are. I mean, it's it's all crazy. It 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 really is. It really is. <sighs> so I'll give you a chance to. Well, I, I, you know, I'd like to still talk more about how that rift between the male and the female led to or underlies all the other divisions. Is it just the, and does this relate to the ego that, you know, somehow my awareness of myself? Well, I think that what, now see, I cannot tell you historically uh, accurately like, uh, you know, someone who is studying this might be able to give you an answer. But I'll tell you what I think, or my my guess is that that power, when we saw that we could use other people or oppress other people or deprive somebody of the meat because they were not the, the as physically strong, as unencumbered, or uh, going out for the hunt, that we discovered, and this is how it connects into the ego, that we could find rationalizations for um, uh, oppressing other people for our own, to exploiting other people for our own benefit. And, I mean, can we not see this across the board, um, whether it's uh, men exploiting women, um, the mother-in-law exploiting the daughter-in-law in, let's say, ch- you know, a traditional Chinese societies, or... Uh, whites, you know, exploiting black slaves or light-skinned people uh, exploiting mulattoes or blacks, or it just goes on and on. People, I assume, you know, with frizzy hair uh, are on the lower rank, uh, being one of them. So, um, but it's kind of like that. It's, you know, okay, you're the boss. You're something. It's, It's set in motion a culture of 
permission to exploit because you're different. And therefore, you're not like me. And you don't have the same needs. You don't have the same desires. I mean, look how many religions have literally institutionalized the oppression of women that women should obey. Did we lose Helen? Uh, she's given us a message. Her computer just died, so, so please call oh. her. In the meanwhile, just carry on. And, I will uh, just I'll, carry on. Okay, we, James. We, we, we can continue the conversation. Okay. Yeah, oh, Hel- and Helen's there back. is Helen. Okay. Okay, there we go. So what I'm saying is that we have permission to exploit others because they are different from us. And we see this in the popular culture by the way men and women talk about that, each other. Like men will say, oh, you know how it is that, you know, she's a woman or uh, that's women for you. And women say, oh, God, he's such a jerk. Well, you know, he's a man. You have to expect it because he's a man. So how different is that from saying that, you know, blacks are stupid uh, they're just born with less intelligence, you know, as we all know. Uh, of course, Asians are born with the hardworking gene and, uh, you know, and Latinos are born dirty. I mean, I don't know. But there are so many rationalizations that we have of pretending that people are different. And as I was saying, in our, you know, in the world globally, you can see so much institutionalization that women are supposed to obey their husbands. It used to be right there in our marital vows. Love, honor, and obey. Whereas men are supposed to love, honor, and cherish because I'm, I'm so touched. And that, how, women, and that women couldn't own anything. That's right. And that you could literally beat your wife and it was not illegal. And you could rape your wife, and it was not illegal. And I'm, you know, in my lifetime, a lot of these things have changed. But in practice, in many cultures, it's still expected. So, so, so what I'm saying is, the culture of exploitation and rationalization by by the, based on the I am not that, which is the ego that says we're separate and we're different, was born with male and female, but it didn't stay that. It wasn't restricted to that. That was like the first division that we all... And then let's say we there was a tribe that had something that we wanted. Well, we could make them look like there was something wrong with them and invade their territory and take it away because they're not like us. And as long as we could prevail, that was cool. I love that. I, I mean, I don't love it, but I, I think it makes so much sense. In other words, we got a taste of power. Yes. And we loved it. And it yes. fed the ego and the monster was out of the bag. Yes. <laughs> we have a caller on hold, Irene and Escondido. Should we? Sure. Okay. Irene, Hi, what is your question? Helen, uh, my phone may run out, but I wanted to bring Can up... Can you visualize that... that- can you really visualize a phone running out of the door? I, I just had to say that was funny. Yes. That was funny. You, know, you, you, you should put a leash on that phone. <laughs> so Go anyway, ahead, Irene. While I still have uh, contact with you, I live in a senior community, and it's very interesting because it's so upside down from the other because it's, uh, primarily female, uh, the, uh, particularly in the community's um, organization of itself, not 
what the uh, authorities, you know, how they divide us up. But women have much more power than men because they take it. You know, they're organizing, we want this, we want that. And men have, there isn't one man who leads something. There are many women who lead things, and uh, we are living with all the services that women usually do, the residents don't do. We don't cook our meals. We don't clean our our rooms. Yeah, um, fun, fun. And <laughs> Yay! Yeah, yeah, it is wonderful. But <laughs> it is so interesting to see how collaborative we are and how much trouble... They have getting the men together. Well, one let's let's get honest about this. I don't know what the statistics are in your residence, but the older you get, the fewer men there are. And so, yeah. um, you know, we we can just gang up on them. And right. um, you know, this is our revenge. Finally, men do not have more power. Older men are sick, are feeble, they're weak, they're not. You know what I mean? Uh, and they they yeah, they don't and, have the numbers, and they're not earning the money. I mean, every advantage that they used to have is yeah. gone. And I loved what you said, Irene. We have the power because we took it. You know, you're back to what Beth was saying: the revenge of old age. <laughs> well, well, probably the because the women can. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, so can, but of, part of part of the reason yeah. we're being taken care of so well is because our husbands had pensions where they were working. So I yes. would say at least half of the people there are are there, as I am, because my husband uh, and I put money into his pension so I would be taken care of if he died before me. But it's very interesting how at the end of the age cycle things change. Yes, that really is. That's, that's a d- delightful point that you're bringing up. But the only thing that I wouldn't want to say is that we're collaborative because we're women. Uh, because that, that's, that goes back to the stereotype that men are incapable of collaborating. Although I would not argue with you that it is likely that for a lot of men, collaboration was not given any value. And so they didn't develop those skills. Um, you know, there were... In in many many communities, women do collaborate to take care of children, uh, and you know in many kind of societies. But unfortunately, uh, the other side of the shift of women going out and getting waged work is that so many women are taking on male what are considered to be male characteristics, which is real individualistic, ego-based ways of being in the world, of competing with each other and not supporting one another. And, and that's something that a lot of women are having to face now and really look at, is this the fundamental values that I believe in? And yet uh, they feel caught up. Because here's another thing that, that was uh, triggered by what you said, Irene. I don't know how many of these places, residents, are actually owned by women versus owned by men or corporations. And so it's like, okay, you have control over the household, but you don't have control over the house. So 
um, you know, it's like, okay, so the man might have, let, let's take an example where the men are wealthy. Okay. So they come home and they give their wives the uh, permission to run the servants and to run the house. And so the women and the servants, there are some male servants too, but there's probably more female servants than male servants. And we certainly have the head housekeeper and we have the mother who's watching over all of this. But the real power is still not in their hands. And so on the one hand, it looks like everything is different. Mm -hmm. And I hear what you're saying and Mm -hmm. I really think that's a Mm -hmm. fascinating point you're raising. But I do want to say that on the other hand, uh, women have always been in charge of the house. <laughs> well, and I think yeah. that, you know, another another thing that I was thinking is that it doesn't necessarily change the nature of human interactions more toward an equitable dynamic. It, it, sometimes women who get into some kind of power position just become like the men have and get yeah. power hungry and and domineering just the same. Exactly. Exactly. And so I, power I is the issue. Uh, yeah. And I think it's also age-related because uh, at our place, probably the age ranges from 65 to uh, 100. Uh, but I'm in another group in where I used to live in Fallbrook that was a, a community to uh, welcome newcomers and just this year, it used to be all women. Just this year, about 20 men got themselves together and are coming to the meeting and planning men's activities. You know, How there's cool going to be a car that? show. Yeah. And these, the average age would be from 40 to 70, probably. Mm-hmm. And I think the even younger people, um, there is more collaboration among men. That, and they're also uh, tend to be alive more. <laughs> yeah, and they care more for the house and the children. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for your call, Irene. You know, this sort of this segues Beth into another question that uh, that I had is to talk more about what the ego has to do with this issue, and Ooh. is the is the evolution of the ego a part of this movement forward that Irene was just discussing? Absolutely. Um, Well, so the ego, as we know, you know, I've talked about the ego many times on this show, and I've written a book about the transformation of consciousness that has a whole chapter on ego, instinct, and evolution. The ego is always coming up, and the ego is that sense of separation. It's like, I am I, and I am therefore not you, and you are not me, and therefore I don't have to be accountable for how I treat you, because... (laughs) Well, would you... And that book is called... Living with Reality. I love that book. And you can get it as a, as a free download on theinnerrevolution.org or you can order the paper copy at Amazon.com. So back to the ego, Beth. Yes. So the ego is born when we're born. And uh, it's all about instinct, about the survival. How are we going to survive as individuals? And as infants, we have no concept of the needs of others. I mean, it is, uh, is there someone on the phone? Um, it, it, the, the ego has no concept. So uh, as an infant, 
you don't think, oh, mommy's tired, daddy's tired, or, you know, my little brother needs a little time and affection, too, because we're, we're, we don't have that kind of consciousness yet. So we automatically work in terms of taking care of ourselves. And that's how our egos are born in the I'm crying because I'm hungry or I'm cold or I need to breathe or I need something, I need something, and there's no awareness of others. And the awareness of others, unfortunately, often takes place in a kind of a shaming way or a manipulative way. Oh, Johnny, you know, uh, be nice, uh, don't hit your brother. Of course, then Johnny goes and hits the brother when you're not looking. Um and so we're sort of shamed into civilized behavior, but all we're doing is hiding our egos because, see, now Johnny knows darn well that if mommy is pissed at him, he's not going to get his cookies. So Johnny's going to start behaving in order to get mom to give him something. And um, at the same time, some people are actually trying to help their children to develop real empathy, which is the I am that, which is the opposite of the ego. Because the ego thrives on, I, you are not me, I am not you, and I don't have to worry about you. I just, I can grab for myself. Hey. <laughs> so, you know, the, it actually, compassion which is a natural feeling that children also have, doesn't seem to be as strongly rooted in instinct as selfishness. Now, it takes us some consciousness to realize that if we don't get together and work together, we're all going down the tubes. So the t- the examples, of course, of the climate change situation is it's, it's so clear. If we don't get together and do something about the way we're raping our planet and destroying it, then there won't be anything left for anybody, regardless of what your profit sheet looks like today. So our narrow idea about profit is like, oh, my company has to survive, right? First of all, I need to keep my job, right? Because I have responsibilities. In order to keep my job, I have to satisfy whoever is above me, whether that person is my boss or a stockholder, or a board of directors, and so on and so on. So my first instinct is to protect myself. So very few people have marched into the boardrooms of uh, ExxonMobil and said, we are destroying the planet, we need a new policy, you know, who work in that company, because they wouldn't be working there very long. So (laughs) the individual ego is uh, not challenging the collective ego of the company, that whose purpose is to survive. See, we try to survive as individuals. Our societies try to survive. The Jewish people, for instance, say, oh, you know, say, well, we need to survive. Everybody needs to do this or that or the other thing so that we survive as a culture or that the gypsies survive or that, um, you know, that the, the, the coal mining sector survives. Or that, so we have the individual ego. We have the ego of the family. We have the ego of the nations. We have the egos of the religions. We have the egos of companies. And uh, they all intertwine. So, Beth, because, I'd like, yeah, I'd like yeah. to ask you, what, what do you recommend as the way out, the solutions? Uh, that, that's what I'd like to find out from you now. Well, uh, to me, the first thing to do is to wake up to the reality that the economy is supposed to serve people instead of the other way around. 
I do believe that we talked about that last time, but I don't remember. So, um, you know, we need to, we need to turn the conversation upside down. We need to say survival is based on well being, not on profit, and that well-being is based on our ability to nurture ourselves and the earth. In other words, we need to regenerate, the earth needs to regenerate, our species needs to regenerate, the forests have to regenerate, the air has to regenerate, you know, the oceans have to regenerate. That is our purpose, our, our number one I mean, I think the Bible says that we are supposed to be the stewards of the earth, right? That we were given dominion over the earth. Uh, and we have so blown that. We have so blown that. We Haven't have, we, though? We've been the exploiters of the earth uh, rather than the nurturers. And it's all part of the same mentality that says that all that matters is money and what gives us power rather than what feeds us physically emotionally, and socially. So we would be looking at questions like, well, why is it that so many of the Scandinavian countries are scoring higher on the happiness uh, questionnaires? Well, duh. (laughs) Maybe it has something to do with the fact that those societies take more care of their people. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to take better care of the environment. In some cases, they do. In some cases, they don't. And that doesn't mean that they're willing to look at the whole world because they might say, okay, well, we Danes have to protect ourselves or we, you know, very understandable because, see, we have been, our egos tell us that the way to survive is to look at our own interests first and then consider the needs of the whole. When actually what we need to do is look at it all simultaneously. In the handbook of the inner revolution, I talk about this. In the uh, which, and that's also a free download if you join our the innerrevolution.org's uh, mailing list. Um, it's in the Living with Reality book. I mean, it's everywhere. It's the what we call platform four in Living with Reality, which is you know doing what is for the highest good of all, and that must include me. So this is not about sacrifice. It's about beginning to understand our relationship to the whole, taking care of the whole, and having the whole take care of us. And that is anathema to the economic system we have today, which happens to be called capitalism. That That is one of the questions I had, too, is how is it turned upside down? And you just already answered that question. This is how you turn it upside down. Is that, and it does relate to the ego of the individual and the collective, is that we must change our perspective about where we look. You know, we have to stop looking at our own navels and start looking at the whole. Absolutely. And, you know, I think, I know we would all be happier because look at the Scandinavian countries tend to be a lot happier than we are. I mean, why is it that we're so stressed out is because we have no sense of community, no sense of safety, and that's very understandable, and it is not fed by the current system. Now, it's there are people today who are talking about these issues in fragmented ways, like they'll talk about the environment, or they'll talk about this aspect or that aspect. But what I'm saying is we have to turn over the whole conversation and say the purpose of the economy is to support us and our planet to regenerate and reproduce and what is going to 
do that. And we have to demand that that consciousness become the consciousness of our planet because it isn't just America. I mean, it's no, true. No, it's the whole world. It's the whole Absolutely. world. And so this is what we're challenging. And I'm saying, go out there and question this and talk about it. You know, take these simple ideas and say to everybody, what do you think the purpose of the economy is? And they'll say, well, to make money. And say, no. No, 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 no. You know, I've got to stop you because I need to ask James to tell us what we're doing next week. And then we'll come back to you for closing remarks. Okay. Okay, then next week. Our topic will be, which side of us is in charge, the reactive self or the creative self, and what can we do about it? A conversation with Ronit Herzfeld. How often do you find yourself in great conflict with two parts of yourself? The conflict might be about whether you should eat that brownie or not, work longer, or go to yoga, keep your mouth shut and not answer your partner's snide remark, or (laughs) thousands of other possibilities. And this is just on the personal level. What about collectively? What side of us is in charge there? Yeah. Yeah. We'll explore these questions and more with Ronit Herzfeld, an integral psychotherapist, social activist, and co-founder of the Leap Forward community. In this wide-ranging conversation, we'll discuss how Ronit's formative experiences, her education, her work in a locked-in unit of an inpatient psychiatric hospital, and her work as a therapist, has helped her come to some compelling insights about these two aspects of ourselves. And together, we'll investigate how to rewire ourselves in order to bring out our capacity for compassion, generosity, and creativity. And now for a final word. I, I want to say to uh, Ronit uh, is someone who who came alive and aware of her intuition very early in life and there have been a lot of parallels with your own story Beth and that's one of the reasons we were very excited to find her and that uh, Todd got her to be on the show is because we felt such a resonance and that she personally seems to mirror a lot of, of the inner revolutionary principles that you represent so please give us some final words and thank you so much Beth for being with us Well, I'm very um, thrilled about your next show. It sounds like it's going to be divine. And I guess what I want to say to people in, in closing is, let's stop thinking in the box. There's nothing in there for us. There's nothing in there. We have done so much to try to climb the ladder when we need to tear it down. We've tried to fill our boxes with goodies when we really need to blow them up. We need to completely rethink what it means to be a human being, what we need, and what we can give to ourselves and one another that's going to really make us happy and healthy. And that's what I'm asking each one of you to think about it and talk about it and tell people about this radio show and the innerrevolution.org. And fight for it. At home, you know, in your neighborhoods, wherever, in your communities, we know what we need. We're we're waking up and we've all got to fight for it. So thank you so much, Beth. And thank you, James, for being our co-host today. It was a pleasure working with you. And I would love to I would love to have you come back. Wonderful. And I know Beth will come back. I know because you've already stuck with me in June. I love being on this show. Thank you so much. We love having you and we love all of our listeners and thank you so much for supporting our show and God bless everyone and we'll see you next time.
Thank you for joining us for this edition of Inner Revolutionary Radio with Beth Green and James Maynard. The next episode will broadcast live next Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And don't forget Inner Revolutionary TV on voiceamerica.tv. Think outside the box and join us.